0: You're going to love this. Just love it. I've heard that before. We'll see.
1: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight I got the feeling there's something right I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair down the stairs, clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you, yep. yes I'm stuck in the middle with you.
0: From Pacifica Radio's KPFK in, in Los Angeles, so this is your broadcast as heard on 90.7 FM it's in so LA, 98.7 place. FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM too, in San Diego. FM Ridgecrest and China Lake, up in Oregon, on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM KSO in Cozy Cottage Grove, 93 FM WLRI in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui, And, of course, coast to coast and around the globe via kpfk.org. Streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, the awesome Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, Grateful Dread Public Radio in Nashville, and, of course, Radio Sputnik five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today for, yes, another action-packed thrilling adventure here on the Brad uh, Bradcast. Great to have you with us. Uh, Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker may no longer be running for president. So you can celebrate that if you wish. But the fallout from his 2012 Recall election is still wreaking havoc, uh, not just in Wisconsin, frankly, but potentially to our electoral system nationwide as millions of dollars are, are being spent by who? Yes, you guessed it, the Koch brothers and other right wing groups who are using that state, using the state of Wisconsin, the great state of Wisconsin, Wisconsin, the Badger state. They are using that as a battleground for the idea, and buckle up, the idea that there is not enough money in politics, dark money and otherwise, dark money from groups who uh, uh, don't have to name their donors, and that there is not enough currently illegal coordination between campaigns themselves and uh, and these right-wing groups, actually all groups, who are funded by these unnamed individuals and corporations. And now these groups are relying on a Wisconsin Supreme Court that is itself quite literally, and I'm not exaggerating here, quite literally bought and paid for by those very same groups. Counting on that court to help them set the precedent that we must get rid of all of these troublesome laws and stuff around elections the very very few laws and stuff that remain on the books to allow more of all of the above in our electoral system I it sounds amazing I realize that we have uh, we've been covering this uh this story this developing story for uh, many months now almost years at this point actually but what happened last week in Wisconsin in this story while the nation and the world was looking at San Bernardino and then at you know, the GOP politics of fear and fascism ever since. What happened last week, uh, amongst all of that Sturm and Drang, which has done a fine job of obscuring what's going on right under our nose in Wisconsin, that is likely to have a very big effect on elections nationwide. As I say, we've been telling the story for some time. It's been ignored by much of the media, at least the corporate media, at least the uh, Non-right wing corporate media. The the, the right wing media. They are paying close close attention to this story. They really are, and they're reporting it. And they are lying about it as usual to their customers. So we're going to be joined momentarily by Brendan Fisher of the Center for Media and Democracy to discuss <clears throat> the latest, the latest almost unfathomable shoe to drop in this ongoing story of the attempted criminal prosecution of Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker and his very powerful right-wing cronies. It's an amazing story, uh, and I want to leave plenty of time for that, and I want to leave plenty of time uh, for Desi Doyen and the Green News Report because, Desi Doyen, uh, good day. Hello. We did not get time for your latest Green News Report yesterday.
1: I know. We had so much to talk about uh, yesterday so, that the fate of the world has to wait. Yeah,
0: the fate of the world has to wait. As usual... Environmental news, uh, the redheaded stepchild of the news business, (laughs) waits till the end and then we run out of time, can't cover it. So we are going to cover it today. I gave you a big tease on it yesterday and then I couldn't cover it. So no tease today other than to say, well, you know what, there's a bit of uh, quite good news, I think, in today's uh, Green News report that we didn't get to play yesterday. So we're going to get to that today. Uh, And so to do that. I'm not going to let you, Desi Doyen, go on one of your uh, unhinged <laughs> uh, rants that go on and on with no reason, no rhyme, no reason.
1: Yes, I do that so often. you got to stop that.
0: Uh, so we're going to make this uh, opening segment a short one, I hope. You'll actually stop me from one of those unhinged rants, Desi okay. Doyen, if I go it's on. It's deal. Uh, so very quickly, let me, let me just hit a couple of very quick points before we get to Brendan Fisher. Uh, one is... Um, uh, something's going on at the New York Daily News, and it's a good thing. It's a very good thing. Uh, following the San Bernardino massacre, we uh, talked about it on this show, their front page, their cover of this uh, tabloid in New York, and this is the Daily News, not the, the New York Daily News, not the New York Post, which is owned by Rupert Murdoch of Fox News. This is the Daily News, and they have been uh, coming right out and saying things that I wish many in the media had said long ago. We probably wouldn't be in the various soups we're in had they said some of these things long ago. But uh, they came out uh, following the San Bernardino Bernardino Massacre last week, calling out those politicians all, uh, I think pretty much every single one of the uh, presidential nominees on the Republican side who, who, who called for thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers for the victims in, uh, in San Bernardino. The New York Daily News described them as cowards who could end gun scourge, yet continue to hide behind meaningless platitudes. Great big front page cover that said, God isn't fixing this. It's great. Great to see it. Glad to see it in New York. New York Daily News. Then, I think it was the very next day, they then called out. The National Rifle Association's Wayne LaPierre. He is their uh, their mouthpiece, their face, the face for the NRA. We've been calling him out for years. We've been calling out the NRA as the terrorist-supporting, terrorist-enabling NRA. And the New York Daily News came out and said, put a big picture of Wayne LaPierre on the cover and called him a terrorist for their support of, uh, or actually their their lobbying against legislation that would close the terror gap that, for example, allows people on the terrorist watch list to walk into any gun store, buy any uh, guns or explosives they want. They can do it at a gun show without a background check, just as al-Qaeda has been telling them to do, literally, for some time. So uh, New York Daily News called out Wayne LaPierre for that, called him what he is, a terrorist, or at least a terrorist supporter. They called him a terrorist. And then today, uh, in regard to Donald Trump, there's a fantastic cartoon on the cover of the Daily News. When Trump came for the Mexicans, I did not speak out, as I was not a Mexican. When he came for the Muslims, I did not speak out, as I was not a Muslim. Then he came for me. And it shows a cartoon of uh, Donald Trump with a great big saber in his hand, and he has just beheaded the Statue of Liberty. She's lying on the ground. He is holding her head proudly by the crown. Right on the cover of the New York Daily News. Thank you, New York Daily News. Good job. Thank you for calling these people out as we should. As we should call them out directly. Because frankly, the uh, as I said, the corporate media holds a lot of responsibility for the mess that we are now in. Maybe, we'll see, maybe they're turning a page. The Detroit Free Press on Wednesday reacted to the country's increasing state of Islamophobia, which, by the way, could not have happened had the mainstream media not allowed it to happen over this past decade or more. They posted a front-page editorial condemning Republican politicians, including Donald Trump and Michigan Governor Rick Snyder, a Republican, For perpetuating anti-Muslim bigotry, the editorial headlined, We Stand Together, criticized the base built up by the so-called establishment Republicans in the past 50 years. Trump's soaring support reveals harsh truths about the party base that so-called establishment Republicans have built with fear and bigotry and xenophobia with the notion that a fictitious former America should be our ideal ignoring the reality of life for women and minorities during that so-called golden age, and most harmfully by perpetuating the idea that success for others, particularly non-white, non-Christian, non-heterosexual, non-male others, means that they will lose. The editorial read, It's a false equation, they said, but one that has given Republican candidates significant traction among some demographies. This is the subtext, they say, for the last 50 years of Republican politics, fear and hatred. They go on to criticize uh, Michigan Governor Rick Snyder for his rhetoric. Uh, that they say is more measured than Trump's but is rooted in the exact same tacit endorsement of bigotry that says any Muslim could be a threat. Both men legitimize hatred and their words to dangerous effect. That has been done by uh, not just Trump, not just Rick Snyder, but all of the Republican Party at this point. Those who say Donald Trump is uh, some kind of uh, out of line with the... uh, Uh, Republican Party, he's more extreme than the rest of the party. That is absolute nonsense. Donald Trump is channeling exactly what the uh, Republicans, Fox News, right-wing talk radio, and yes, the Republicans have been pushing for years, and now the Republicans are just horrified, horrified, horrified that he's saying it out loud not just on Fox News but everywhere they're appalled by it well no they're not this is their base this is now who they are but the uh, the news flash is they could not have done it without the mainstream corporate media allowing them to do it for so many years allowing the false notion of a, uh, a, a right-left paradigm that is the same, a Republican, Democrats, uh, they both do it, they both have their problems, they're both equally bad or equally good. All of that is stuff and nonsense. And Maybe the media is now, the media are now finally calling out uh, that party for what it is. I can only hope. Anyway, uh, I promise not to get too deep into this. We will return to this topic, I suspect, very soon, but I want to make sure we have plenty of time For Brendan Fisher and whatever the hell is going on up in Wisconsin because it's amazing. And yes, for Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. All of that is straight ahead right here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. Oh, brother Oh Scott Walker is there no end of uh, astonishment you can uh, bring to me and bring to your state of Wisconsin welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here, and this story it just uh, gets amazinger and amazinger. We keep following it month after month after month. It doesn't seem to to make it uh, really into the national media, but I think that this story is um probably the most underreported yet overly important story on a national level that just that, that just is not getting the national scrutiny that it deserves maybe it is in Wisconsin but not on the national level now um so we have a, a a new part of the Scott Walker saga here uh, that took place last week. And this was, of course, buried uh, amongst uh, the huge news week. It was another huge news week, obviously, over the past week. I think I say that at this point once a week. But uh, it was a huge news week with the shootings and so forth. Well, uh, little noticed was Brendan Fisher's article over at Prwatch.org, which is the website for uh, Wisconsin's Center for Media and Democracy, he wrote on Wednesday the Wisconsin Supreme Court's majority contorted itself to find a new way to protect both Governor Scott Walker and the state Supreme Court's biggest supporters not to mention itself, following its decision in July rewriting the state's limits on money and politics and ending the John Doe investigation into Walker's campaign coordinating with dark money groups. That ruling last Wednesday, he writes, was supposed to be a straightforward decision on a motion to reconsider uh, reconsider an earlier decision by the court in light of additional evidence that Scott Walker and his allies violated the campaign finance law's That the court had upheld in July. The court denied the motion, but then in a lengthy unsigned opinion, and this is where it's even more amazing, they went further, rewriting their July decision to fire the Republican special prosecutor. Let me repeat that. The Republican special prosecutor who had been appointed to lead the investigation of Scott Walker and his coordination with these right wing groups. Uh, The uh, prosecutor was a man by the name of Francis Schmitz, and the court's decision made it harder for him to challenge the state Supreme Court's decisions and their conflicts of interest. The justices on the state Supreme Court, their own conflicts of interest. It made it very much more difficult for him to challenge their decision up to the U.S. Supreme Court because, well, by and large, Francis Schmitz has been fired by this court decision. Uh, Schmitz, who is a retired U.S. Army colonel and former counterterrorism prosecutor, said that uh, uh, about this entire affair, he said, the miscalculation I made in this investigation was underestimating the power and influence special interest groups have in Wisconsin politics. My career in the military and as a federal prosecutor fighting violent criminals and terrorists did not fully prepare me for the tactics employed by these special interest groups in Wisconsin, Schmidt said in a statement. The decision on uh, Wednesday by the uh, Wisconsin State Supreme Court was, quote, extraordinary, according to a former Wisconsin Supreme Court Justice Janine Geski who now teaches at Marquette Law School. She said to somehow remove the lawyer representing one of the parties after the opinion has been issued is extraordinary. It puts the case in a very odd situation, removing counsel so he cannot file an appeal. There is now no clarity for how other prosecutors might be able to intervene and make uh, sense of all of this. So if you're having trouble making sense of all of this, uh, so am I. Uh, Here to help us make sense of it is... Brendan Fisher, the general counsel at the Wisconsin based Center for Media and Democracy. Uh, uh, Brendan, welcome back to the broadcast.
2: Hey, Brad, thanks for having me
0: back. Every time I have you on, I have to express how exasperated I am by this story because it seems to get more and more insane by the moment and yet uh, still doesn't get the kind of coverage nationally that I would think it deserves. And we'll talk about why I think it deserves that in a moment and and see if you agree with me here. But uh, let's try to explain... What it was that I just butchered so much. Uh, we've we basically we've had two investigations uh, of note: the John Doe investigations, as they're called in Wisconsin, right? Those are similar to a a grand jury investigation in that they're carried out in secret, but they're carried out not by a grand jury; they're carried out by a a special prosecutor. Is that correct? Uh,
2: it, it's actually by a by a judge. Um, so instead of a, a grand jury, or instead of an impaneled jury making a decision about whether there's sufficient evidence to uh uh probable cause to bring charges against somebody, uh it's overseen by a overseen by a judge. Mm-hmm. And in this case, um, because it was so uh because the violations of campaign finance coordination were so wide ranging, uh, they appointed a special prosecutor, uh, somebody with Republican credentials who worked um worked in the Department Department of Justice for many years to oversee the investigation um in multiple counties. And that—that's
0: uh, that, Francis Schmitz, correct?
2: That's Francis Schmitz. Uh, he's a longtime Republican. He said that he actually voted for Walker. He was on George W. Bush's short list to be named a U.S. Attorney for Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, won multiple awards uh, uh, and commendations from uh, Republican the, the Republican Attorney Generals under uh, under George W. Bush. Um, this man is not an ideologue. Uh, he's, he's conservative, both in um, both in his disposition and in his politics. Uh, but he was, by by virtue of the fact that he was involved in this investigation into Scott Walker and into conservative groups, he's just been pilloried by by the right wing media, um, by the Wall Street Journal editorial board, and and others. Pilloried um, and as statements
0: as being partisan, right? As bringing a partisan uh, witch hunt against uh, Scott Walker and his. Uh, supporters, his uh, sup- supposedly outside supporters, these outside groups, which brought uh, millions, uh, not just for Scott Walker's initial election, but then for his recall election and then for his uh, re-election in in 2014, correct?
2: Yeah, that's right. And, and that's what they were looking at here. Um, violations of the state campaign finance laws to the tune of uh, at least $10 million uh, by Walker working hand in glove with these, with these dark money groups that don't disclose their donors. Um, evidence showed that Walker was going around the country uh, telling donors that you can give to this dark money group that I'm working with. Um, and the public is not going to know about it. Uh, Wisconsin has very strong traditions of openness has, has had strong um, campaign finance disclosure laws. And by by engaging in this scheme, it was really about keeping the public in the dark about, about who was supporting Scott Walker. Uh, and, and many of those donors, at least some of those donors, did receive special treatment from the Walker administration after he won his recall election, uh, but the public never knew uh, that the that, that the groups and individuals that were receiving the special treatment were major supporters of Scott Walker and major supporters of Republicans in Wisconsin.
0: They didn't know um, that because, the, as you were described as dark money, that money that they gave to those groups where Scott Walker pointed them... Those groups themselves do not have to disclose who is giving them money, is that right?
2: Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was a situation where Scott Walker knew exactly where the money was coming from, who was writing the checks, uh, but the public, but the public did not. How did he know um,
0: if they're not allowed to coordinate, how would he know who was actually giving money to those groups?
2: <laughs> because they because they were coordinating. Um he was specifically asking for donations. Uh, the individuals that he was asking were making donations to these dark money groups, and evidence indicated that Walker's campaign was then telling the dark money groups how to spend the money, how the how the funding was going to be most uh, most useful to the Walker campaign or to the campaigns of um, of Republicans in the state. So it would have appeared to be a clear violation of of the law, uh,
0: unless you change you, the law.
2: Unless you change the law, and right. that and that's and that's in fact what happened. So, to, just to get up to speed a little bit, yeah. so last July, uh, Walker and other groups that were under investigation, um, namely Wisconsin Club for Growth and Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce, which are the groups that Walker was accused of coordinating with, they, they brought a, a series of lawsuits, got it up to the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Uh, Wisconsin Supreme Court has a four justice majority. And that four-justice majority was elected to the bench with $10 million in spending from the same groups under investigation, from the same groups that Walker was accused of coordinating with, the same group that were parties to the case, and the same groups that would be affected by an adverse ruling by a, by a decision that what they did was illegal uh, and that they could face, could face penalties. Uh, the justices, Two of the justices were asked to recuse themselves. They declined and ultimately changed the law, rewrote Wisconsin's campaign finance law to allow the sort of coordination under investigation in this John Doe probe. Uh, they narrowed, they, they, they drew a distinction between issue advocacy, these ads that don't say vote for or vote against a candidate, and express advocacy, which are ads that expressly tell viewers how to vote. They said coordination over issue ads is just free speech, you know, coordination over express advocacy, that's a different story okay, that and, would still and,
0: potentially be illegal. And, 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 and I, I want to drill down there a little bit, Brendan, but I, I want to underscore, uh, Brendan Fisher, what, what you just uh, basically uh, described. You're saying that these groups, you named uh, Wisconsin Club for Growth, and the other one was the, uh, uh, which one, Americans for Prosperity? is that uh, Wisconsin
2: right? Manufacturers and Commerce.
0: Okay. Uh, which we're We're funded uh, by these by this dark money. We know a lot of this money came from the the Koch brothers related groups, as I understand it. So those groups got that dark money. They're supporting Scott Walker in his recall effort. And those same groups also supported with money the these members of the Wisconsin Supreme Court because in Wisconsin the justices actually have to run for office which to me by the way is absolutely amazing but so they go out they raise money uh, or they uh, run on their own they they put their own money into it and then these so-called outside groups can also spend money and you write in your article at Center for Media and Democracy how uh, in at least two of these cases two of these uh, uh, justices Th- that these outside groups far far outspent the campaigns themselves the justices campaigns themselves those two justices those are the ones that the, the the prosecutors here who are investigating Scott Walker and this coordination and so forth those two justices are the ones that they had requested recuse themselves from this case, from this lawsuit being brought by these outside groups?
2: Yeah, that's that's right. Uh, so the, those two justices, Justice Gableman and, uh, and Justice Prosser, were both massively outspent by, uh, by these outside groups, by these parties to the case. And that mm-hmm. raises serious concerns about about conflict of interest. It raises concerns about whether these justices uh, could be impartial in a case involving their biggest supporters, in a case involving the exact same groups uh, that you know, you could, in large part, uh, help put these justices on the bench. And the, but for the expending by these groups, these justices very well would not be, would not be on the bench. Those justices
0: are clearly beholden to those groups the same way Scott Walker is beholden to those groups. But why were... Uh, why were those groups, those outside groups then, why is this case even at the state Supreme Court as far as what were they suing about? They were the ones being investigated. So why do they have a, a lawsuit that makes its way up to the justices that they quite literally, those same groups, had bought uh, to put on the bench? What are they suing about? What's their problem?
2: <laughs> well, they They're were suing getting away they with were... Her. Because they were they were investigated, so we're going back a little bit. So this is so this, this John Doe investigation started in twenty twelve. Uh, as soon as the groups are hit with subpoenas, they filed a. These are well funded organizations with uh, with national donors. They filed a series of a series of costly lawsuits with high powered attorneys from Washington D.C. and from around the country. Mm-hmm. Eventually, those cases went up to the Supreme Court. To the Supreme Court, despite these conflicts of interest, these justices declined to recuse. They shut down the investigation, rewrote the law to benefit their biggest donors, and then the special prosecutor um, asked the court to reconsider its investigation because even though they said that issue advocacy is beyond the reach of Wisconsin campaign finance law, the special prosecutor said, "But wait, we have we have evidence of express advocacy. We have coordinate. We have evidence of coordination between the Walker campaign and these groups over." Over express advocacy, which in July you said would still be illegal, so I, I'm asking you to take another look at this, to take another look at this, and, and allow the, us to continue the investigation in terms of w- with respect to express advocacy. But they went beyond that. Not only did they dismiss the motion, the motion to reconsider, they rewrote their July decision to say, "You special prosecutor, you can no longer be involved in this case," uh, which means that he would be unable to appeal up to the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, and challenge the conflicts of interest um, on the Wisconsin Supreme Court, which he has indicated that he has he has planned to do,
0: which seems to just uh, well absolutely unprecedented to me. But you're saying so. Just just to be clear, uh, issue advocacy uh, is uh, put an ad on television that says uh, Scott Walker is a wonderful human being and uh, the the a, a great conservative in the tradition of Ronald Reagan. We love Scott Walker. Have a nice day. This uh, paid for by such and such. That's issue advocacy, right? That would be an... Okay. Uh, Express advocacy would would be where those same people put something on the air, perhaps, and they say, vote for Scott Walker. He's the one you want to vote for. Vote for Scott Walker or vote against his uh, son-of-a-gun opponent, right? (laughs) Yes. Okay. Uh So... One is allowed. You can say Scott Walker is wonderful and uh, uh, the, the the living image of Ronald Reagan. That you can say, but you can't say go vote for Scott Walker. And what these groups were saying was, hey, we were just doing issue advocacy. We weren't telling anybody who they should vote for or against. So that's perfectly legal for us then to coordinate w- with with the Walker campaign and the state Supreme Court who is funded literally by those same groups, they said, yes, that's right. But uh, then the prosecutor, Francis Schmitz, comes forward and he says, no, wait a minute. We actually have evidence that there was direct uh, coordination, that there was direct issue advocacy in these uh, or I'm sorry, uh, express advocacy by these groups. And that's why he wanted this new uh, reconsideration of the of the decision
2: yeah that's that's right and, and of course, I mean the, the court's distinction between express advocacy and issue advocacy in this context is um, is also pretty unprecedented. It certainly does not follow uh, it certainly goes beyond any. US Supreme Court precedent even in cases like Citizens United. Um, the court has said that there's not a there's not a, a clear distinction or there's not a rigid barrier between expressed advocacy and issue advocacy when it comes to issues of disclosure. Mm-hmm. Uh and obviously if a candidate is coordinating with the group, asking donors to give money to the group, telling the group how to spend the money, um, you know, the the fact that the the ads don't say vote for or vote against, um, doesn't undermine the value of that spending to the candidate. Clearly these expenditures are valuable to the candidate. Clearly these can these uh, the candidate is going to be is going to be indebted to the donors to this group because they're because they're coordinating. Um, they wouldn't be working together uh, if if the uh, if the spending if the issue ad spending was not valuable to the candidate.
0: And, and uh, the, so well, it
2: was a ridiculous distinction, but that is the that is the distinction that the that the court created um, in the, in, in July, uh, in the John Doe case. And so
0: would the special investigator otherwise, if he hadn't been essentially fired here, he would otherwise, or one of the prosecutors would otherwise be able to go to the U S Supreme court and say, Hey, the decision that's been made back here in Wisconsin is inappropriate because the justices, uh, had a direct conflict of interest with the groups they were deciding on their behalf. But now because of this decision that was made by the state supreme court, he can't do that because he's been essentially fired. How do they fire him in this decision? He goes, and says, Re- "Please reconsider," and they say, "Okay, we'll reconsider." And while we're at it, uh, we agree we were right in the first place, and you're fired. H- how did that happen?
2: It's it's extremely odd, um, and everything about this case, of course, has been very has been very odd. So typically, a motion to reconsider uh, or the response to a motion to reconsider would be, uh, you know, a page or two long. It would be a short decision, either granting or denying the motion. Uh, what they did here is basically issue a new opinion, um, not only denying the motion, motion to reconsider, on pretty shaky on pretty shaky grounds, but also going back and rewriting their uh, their July decision at length um, with. a with what appears to be the, the, the goal of preventing him from, uh, from appealing this conflict of interest up to, the, uh, up to the U.S. Supreme Court. So this doesn't necessarily uh, prohibit him from filing an appeal, prohibit the special prosecutor from filing an appeal, because if, if, if the justices should have recused themselves in the first place, if the U.S. Supreme Court finds that the justices should have recused themselves in the first place, then their determination that he never should have been appointed doesn't have any doesn't have any merit. Um, the problem is the the problem is the funding. How he's going to be able to uh, to pay for this to pay for this appeal. So as at when he was appointed special prosecutor, how, how did they actually take away for the state?
0: Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, uh, you, that's you started. So he was actually working for the state when he was a uh, uh, appointed as prosecutor. And if they end the case, if they say this case is over, this investigation is over. Then his job is essentially done. He's no longer getting uh, any funding to carry out his investigation, and therefore, if even if he did want to take the time, the hours, the days, the weeks to appeal a case to the U.S. Supreme Court, now he would have to do it on his own dime.
2: That's that's right. And and really, it's by it's by rescinding his appointment um, that they cut off the funding for him because. He you know, this was this was an investigation led by elected county district attorneys. Uh, he was appointed special prosecutor by a, a state trial court judge. Uh, so it is the it is the state that's paying him um, in this in this uh, special prosecutor role uh, by rescinding his appointment, uh, which the court did this last Wednesday, uh it means that he can no longer be paid and bringing a bringing an appeal up to the u s Supreme Court is a very time consuming endeavor. Yes. It's very complicated um and it's a hard thing to do on your own. It's a hard thing to do for to do for free yeah. um, especially when you're he's an individual he's an individual who retired from the uh Department of Justice a few years ago he's in private practice um even even though he he is obviously invested in this case, he, he has to find a way to pay the bills.
0: Can, can the county? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, can, how, how about the prosecutors? You say that he's working with the county prosecutors. They're still on the uh, uh, you know on on the state dime. Can can they bring this case to the U.S. Supreme Court and say, hey? They've inappropriately uh, shut down this investigation uh these two justices should have recused themselves from the case- what is it a, a, a seven member uh, a court in um in wisconsin
2: yeah it's a seven member okay. court although um one justice recused herself for other reasons okay. uh and and then sort of in an odd, another odd set of circumstances that another justice died just over the past few months that that right. set of circumstances so now it would be so if the um if the two justices had recused themselves, it would have been a a two-two decision, a two-two, a two-two tie. It would have likely gone back to uh, to uh, the court of appeals. To
0: the lower court. So, uh, can the county prosecutors bring this case to the uh, to the U.S. Supreme Court? Um, appeal so
2: in theory and. This is it, we get into other odd, odd procedural issues here, but um, the county district attorneys were not parties to this case before the Wisconsin Supreme Court. The Wisconsin Supreme Court denied uh, their petition to join uh, to join the proceedings. So currently, by rescinding the special prosecutor's appointment, not only does he not have funding, but there's really nobody um, in this case that's actually representing the interests of. The interest of the public or the interests of the of the prosecutors. So theoretically, uh, one of the county prosecutors could petition to um, uh, p- petition petition to be entered into this into this case. Uh, but for the Republican-leaning counties, that's a risky endeavor because the John Doe has become so politically polarized. Mm-hmm. And then even for the uh, even for the district attorneys who are in less Republican districts. Uh, you know they have other things to do, and an, an appeal to the to the U.S. Supreme Court is not easy.
0: And would they have uh, to get it's very approval? time consuming. Yeah, time-consuming. Would they have to get approval from the court itself? Then the same court to to actually come into this case to intervene?
2: Yeah, they like yes, they would. They would, um, which also is another <laughs> another complication. And oh, then if man. they're going to intervene, and, and just thinking politically. If these county, these county district attorneys are going to probably, or their office is probably going to appear in front of the in front of the court at some future date. So if you ask to enter this case for the purpose of bringing an appeal uh, to the U.S. Supreme Court to, uh, to to declare and asking the U.S. Supreme Court to declare that two of the justices um, should have recused themselves, uh, you know that's a good way to that's a good way to piss off uh, piss off some of the Wisconsin Supreme Court justices. Uh, that you're going to be, be appearing from in the
0: future. <laughs> yeah, really, just a little. And I guess that's why you have a special prosecutor in the first place, so you don't run into those conflicts of interest, which uh, at least two of the uh, officials on the uh, two justices uh, think there there, there there is none. There, what conflict of interest? Uh, we can decide against the people who spent more money than our own campaign to put us into office. We can decide this case fairly. It's unbelievable. But... Okay, so, Brendan, we have covered this uh, now on this show many times as it's moved forward, as it gets insaner and insaner, and I have always contended that there was something much larger going on here, something larger at stake than just this local, this, you know, state quibble over Scott Walker and his funding. What What is really going on? I mean, Scott Walker is, uh, he's, he's not running for president anymore. He's been, uh, he, he's, I think he's termed out, isn't he, after two terms in, in Wisconsin? No, there's no
2: term limits, but oh. it doesn't sound like he's going to run again.
0: Okay. So, but he's already he's won a uh, two regular elections, he's won w- one recall election. He's not running for president. But at this point, what is this really about? I think these groups and this fight and this lawsuit and this pushback uh against, you know, fighting to allow them to coordinate with campaigns, just just out and out full coordination it seems like. Ah, uh, with these campaigns, I think that this is a national effort uh, in the guise of a state case. Is there merit to my belief, Brendan Fisher?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and if you look and, and and you said that this has not gotten a lot of national attention, and that's right, at least in terms of mainstream media and um and, and media on the left. But if mm-hmm. you look at if you look at the right, I mean, they are very, very incensed about this case. Mm-hmm. and, uh, on the right, uh, national organizations and in particular national funders are uh, deep-pocketed. deep-pocketed interests on the right do see this as a test case. They see it as a uh, as an opportunity to just to, to uh, create a test case to strike down campaign finance laws uh, across the country. They celebrated this Wisconsin Supreme Court decision, um, but also more specifically, uh, the media. The media campaign uh, as as part of this has been very concerted. There's been dozens of Wall Street Journal editorial board uh, Mm -hmm. articles written about this. National Review has done a number of different articles about this. Uh, The Franklin Center for Government and Public Integrity, uh, a right-wing state-based network of uh, of news outlets um, funded, by the way, by they were those in hundreds of articles. And
0: funded by those same very same groups who are with, challenging with all of this. Both
2: tied to the same group yeah. under under investigation in this case. Yeah, um, yeah, they they very clearly have have have, have reframed this uh, this bipartisan investigation led by a Republican special prosecutor as a partisan witch hunt. Uh, they're trying to use this this case as an example of the John Doe investigation. Uh, as a as a supposed example of how campaign finance laws uh, can be used as a cudgel to uh, to punish political opponents, um, they're using this as a as a way to argue against any campaign finance laws anywhere, uh, and to support the the arguments that they make against any sort of campaign finance regulation, and also to to prohibit or to um, intimidate. Uh, regulators or law enforcement officials from enforcing the campaign finance laws on the books, um, because they know that if uh, because if because they know that if uh, if a law enforcement officer or a prosecutor in another state is going to try and enforce the laws that are on the books, they're going to be they're going to be hammered in the press and they're going to be hammered in this well coordinated uh, well coordinated media effort like we saw in Wisconsin. Um, the same groups that the same groups that were involved in the John Doe case are now trying to recall. Uh, the uh, Milwaukee County DA, who was part of this investigation, they've they've dragged Francis Schmitz's name through the mud, uh, despite many years of service to to our country, both in the in the Army and in as a as part of the uh, the, the, the U.S. Department of Justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of it's entirely unjustified, but it's but it's an effort to uh, to fight against any campaign finance laws and any enforcement of campaign finance laws around the country.
0: And this has to be uh, noted that this is after. Citizens United. This is after so many of these, uh, the existing campaign finance laws that we did have in this country, after those have been done away with. These groups on the right, and, and thank you for pointing it out, you're right, on a national level, on the right, they are paying attention to this case. They think they are under attack. They think their free speech is under attack because they're not allowed, it seems, to bring as much money as they want from whoever they want without disclosing it to anyone and uh, in a way that allows them to coordinate with the campaigns. They feel that our current campaign finance laws are too restrictive, that there is not enough coordination uh, between these groups, that there is not enough money uh, in politics. And Uh, I mean, at least as I understand it, and they're trying to set that precedent in uh, in Wisconsin uh, that I think will be carried uh, to to all 50 states. And potentially are. Is there an actual case here, Brendan, that could get it could make its way to the U.S. Supreme Court, which would then uh, just open whatever uh, whatever, you know, whatever roadblocks are left in the campaign finance that would open it in all 50 states. Is there that path Uh, forward?
2: I say I don't think so at this point. Um, there was a federal uh, there was a federal lawsuit that went up to the Seventh Circuit and Judge Easterbrook, who's a conservative jurist, uh, shut it down. Said uh, rejected their claims about the state of campaign finance law. And um, uh, the group did try and appeal up to the U.S. Supreme Court, and there were some indications that the court might take it, but ultimately they didn't. So I think this is not something that's going to be. Uh, this is not something that may have national relevance for. Uh, for other states, um, in terms of a decision from the U.S. Supreme Court, but the Wisconsin Supreme Court decision is certainly going to be cited in brief uh, by opponents of limits on money in politics in other yeah. in other court decisions. It may not be controlling, but it will be persuasive. But but I think really more importantly, it's this uh, it, it's this distorted uh, it, it's the distorted portrayal of mm-hmm. what happened in this investigation. Um, that's going to be that's going to be most effective in deterring lawmakers from enacting new campaign yep. finance regulation, in uh, deterring law enforcement from enforcing the laws that are on the books. Uh, so we have to be diligent in be, in pushing back on their on their false claims about what really happened here. Yeah. Um, because the because the assertions that that you're seeing in the Wall Street Journal uh, or in the Wall Street Journal editorial pages and uh, from the National Review just don't. Uh, just don't
0: uh, align with the facts. No, they they don't. And uh, boy, okay, I'm I'm running really late, but I, I I think this is really important because I think that this is, uh, you know, as you suggest, going to be the precedent, going to be the template, uh, if you will, in all 50 states to push back against any any type of uh, campaign finance law, campaign finance restriction. Uh, Brendan Fisher, uh, in in 30 seconds here, w- w- are, are are we at a, a, a just a complete uh i I don't even know where where are we as far as this case do we just not know how the uh uh, prosecutor or anybody can move forward is this case over or is there a way to get to the u.s supreme court or is it just a dead end we we don't know i mean
2: i think there's a good chance that there will be an appeal to the u.s supreme court uh i I, I'm, i'm i'm hopeful that he'll find a way to to bring it um i mean in wisconsin itself it is it is done the investigation uh is done and even beyond what the court did uh as i think we talked about last month the uh the republican led legislature rewrote the campaign finance laws to uh, uh to do do away with even more restrictions um so wisconsin is basically a lost cause right now um but there's still a possibility that this that this decision could get up to the U.S. Supreme Court.
0: Although no one knows how that would possibly happen, it seems. Who would actually bring it, how it would be done, how it would be funded. Wow. Just amazing. Um, Okay. Thanks, Brendan. I guess we'll have you back uh, for the uh, next uh, beat in the story when it happens (laughs) and we find out the next insanely amazing thing to occur out of uh, the great state of Wisconsin under the uh, under the rule of uh, Governor Scott Walker. Just amazing. Brendan Fisher, uh, read his full report uh, and and all of the really good work they do over there at uh, Center for Media and Democracy at prwatch.org. Thank you, Brendan. All right, thanks, Brad. All right. A quick break, and we are back with more broadcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. <laughs> stopping the world to melt. Along with Desi Doy and, uh, see Desi, I told you we'd make it.
1: Ooh. I know. We, I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful and grateful.
0: I know. I, you thought we were running long there with, with Brendan and, oh, yeah. and we were, but I knew we were going to get to the green news report since I screwed up yesterday
1: <laughs> and, and ran. <laughs> well, that's quite all right. We got to get it in cause it's a lot of important stuff.
0: I think so. All right. Uh, especially with this, uh, climate conference now getting ready soon in the next day or two to wrap up. It's getting very, very exciting. So, uh, and we may have an update, uh, in a moment but let's run it our latest green news report this is the time this is the moment
1: crunch time in paris as united nations climate talks seek global agreement might
2: that not scare
1: people who absolutely think bernie sanders proposes a national carbon tax goldman sachs predicts exponential growth in renewable energy Plus, good news. Finally. (laughs) Global emissions decline in 2015 and not because of global economic recession.
0: All of those stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And
1: I'm Desi Doyan.
0: Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment.
1: Thank you, Trevor. As you know, we're all going to die.
0: This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, crunch time indeed in Paris. Uh, will they be able to walk away with an agreement or not? Will the agreement be enough of an agreement to, you know, just save the world?
1: Well, that's a lot to ask for one agreement, but there does seem to be a lot of optimism right now in Paris in the final week of the United Nations Climate Talks, where high-level government officials from the nations of the world are negotiating a comprehensive international agreement to cut greenhouse gas emissions that cause dangerous global warming. Deep conflicts remain over how much money rich countries will give to developing and poor countries to prepare for climate impacts and to help help them develop clean energy resources. Secretary of State John Kerry, speaking in Paris with U.S. media outlet Mashable, said he believes that reaching an agreement will unleash clean energy investment.
2: Setting the targets is a huge signal to the marketplace. And then the marketplace will begin, I think, to move into gear. And and I'm, I'm
1: quite confident that we're going to see a massive transformation. In technology over the course of the next five years. And in fact, even before any climate agreement has even been completed, investment bank Goldman Sachs has issued a major new report stating that they believe the global transition to a low carbon economy is already well underway and projected, quote, exponential growth in the solar and wind industries over the next five years. Uh
0: Uh-oh. Well, if Goldman Sachs is saying that now, I'm dubious.
1: Meanwhile, in U.S. presidential politics, independent senator from Vermont and Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders has released an ambitious new energy policy calling for massive investments in clean energy sources and instituting an economy-wide carbon tax on emissions. When CBS Face the Nation host John Dickerson asked if the idea of a carbon tax would scare people, Sanders said the impacts of climate change are much scarier.
0: We have a moral obligation to move aggressively to transform our energy system away from fossil fuel to energy efficiency and sustainable energy. And that is what my legislation does. So you want to talk about being frightened? I am frightened about the planet. We're going to leave our kids if we don't act. So the idea, and at least Bernie Sanders is saying it, is that you need to put a price on carbon. Somebody has to pay for all of this pollution that is now happening. And frankly, I'm convinced that the only real way to reduce those emissions is to make it so that it costs someone, so they have no choice but to lower the emissions to save money. It's a free market idea, frankly.
1: Yes, it's the idea that polluters pay rather than taxpayers for the pollution that they produce. And
0: right now, it's the taxpayers who are paying.
1: Right. Among other things, Sanders' plan would repeal billions in annual taxpayer subsidies to the fossil fuel industry. It would ban Arctic oil drilling, ban offshore oil drilling, ban fracking for natural gas, and stop exports of liquefied natural gas and crude oil.
0: That's a lot of banning, but is banning necessary if we institute the carbon tax? In other words, maybe they'll just stop on their own because it costs too much to produce.
1: I think the idea behind the bans is to keep it in the ground. Otherwise, those who can afford it will pay for it to be extracted.
0: So even with a carbon tax, some people will say, hey, no problem. I'll pay for it.
1: Right. Finally, some good news. Global greenhouse gas emissions rose only slightly last year in 2014 and appear to have declined in 2015. That's according to scientists publishing Monday in the journal Nature Climate Change. They say that if the trend holds and is confirmed, it would mark the first ever decline in carbon emissions in a year when the world economy was not in recession. The researchers say the new numbers may be evidence of changing behavior. As more countries invest in renewable energy such as solar and wind power
0: some uncommonly good news from you desi doy and for much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com download our reports anytime via itunes or stitcher or tune in find us and follow us on the facebooks and the twitters at green news report from bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman.
1: And I'm Desi Doyen.
0: And this has been your Green News Report. This is the time. This is the moment. Spread it
1: across the country. Can we go back. This is the moment.
0: So there you go. Some exciting news. Uh, decrease in emissions for reasons unknown. At well, least they're not. Uh, well, they're, well, they're
1: not established yet. And let's hope that it sticks. I mean, there's always a chance. Mm-hmm. This is going to be it could be a temporary thing. It could be a fluctuating thing. But they believe it could be the inflection point. And if so. That is very good. News. That
0: maybe we are just uh, emitting less. We are using re- more renewables. We are using the, the uh,
1: transition to clean energy has, has begun. begun. And
0: <clears throat> uh, to help that trans uh, transmission transition along, uh, in Paris, uh, a bit of an update since yesterday. It looks like the parties to this conference about 195 countries overall have pared down the agreement uh, by 14 pages. It was a 43-page draft. I think it's down to like uh, 20-something now. That's a good thing, Desi Doyen?
1: That's a very good thing. That is basically when these agreements occur, they have uh, bracketed text, which has uh, multiple options, you know, three or four options that could go into that sentence. And so when they start removing those options and start narrowing down what the compromises are going to be, that is why the agreement has now been reduced by pages. They're meeting today. They're meeting tomorrow. They are meeting in open. Overnight sessions, they are really, really going to work hard to create a really good agreement. But right now, there is still a, a very strong opposition from the uh, developing nations and the small island nation states. That would be us. We're,
0: uh, well, no, wait. No, we're developed. We're, yeah, we're not developed. developing. Right. The
1: developing nations, the low-lying nations that are affected by sea level rise, the small island nation states, basically... Everybody else but the developed world is fighting very hard to lower that uh, temperature target to 1.5 degrees Celsius, because anybody who lives within one meter of sea level rise will be probably wiped out by the end of the century. As we discussed yesterday
0: As, with uh, Dr. Hugh Seeley from Canada, yeah. yes.
1: And uh, so there's a there's a big uh, conflict right now. We'll see if over the next 48 to 72 hours, uh, what actually ends up in the agreement, and fingers crossed that it will be a strong agreement. That will then also include mechanisms to ratchet up the ambition and uh, the targets for every country. And they're looking for it to be a review period of every five years to do that. And Saudi Arabia and India are not happy with that right now.
0: Oh, poor Saudi Arabia and India. French Foreign Minister, uh, how do you say it, Laurent Fabius?
1: Laurent Fabius.
0: Fabius, okay, Laurent Fabius, who's... who's, uh uh, leading the talks out there, he says that they the parties have now settled two-thirds of their disputes over wording and uh, says that constitutes progress, so we will see what happens in the next few days. We'll continue to keep our eyes on it. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, as ever. Thank you, Desi. To our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, and of course to my guest today, Brendan Fisher of the Center for Media and Democracy. Check out their work at prwatch.org. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can always download it at bradblog.com. You can download it automagically over at iTunes, where we hope you'll uh, stop by and give us a good review over there, make it a little bit easier for everyone else to find the Bradcast as well. Is that it? Oh, find us and follow us on the Twitters at TheBradBlog. Thank you very much for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is greatly appreciated. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.